I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. In this episode, I interview Gary Mayer, author of the book, Imitate Paul, Five Keys from the Apostle for Every Church Planter, Leader, and Believer. I stumbled onto this book earlier this year, and it impacted me deeply. Gary grew up in the same area of Southern Oregon that I did. He graduated from Oregon State and then worked for IBM for 21 years. After a dramatic encounter with God in Paris, he resigned from IBM and entered Bible College in England. He then planted a church in London and led it for nearly 20 years. He retired to northern Mexico and continues to teach, preach, and write. He has four kids, 13 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren on the way. In this episode, I asked Gary about how to close the gap between what Paul experienced and described and what the average minister or member experiences spiritually. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I want to invite you to a men's retreat we're organizing here in Tucson on the weekend of April 1 through 3, 2022. This is something I look forward to every year, and I really hope you can join me. It's located at a beautiful campsite about an hour from Tucson. It's a great time to get away, listen to some powerful lessons, hike, cave, eat some hot meals, great food, sleep in comfortable and warm bunks, enjoy warm showers. If you'd like to grow and enjoy a powerful spiritual opportunity, I'd like you to join us. Delano Stewart, who leads the church in Las Vegas, Nevada, will be our guest speaker. We'll have more information and registration available soon. Please save the date, Friday through Sunday, April 1 through 3, 2022. Earlier this year, I was preparing for the new year and I was thinking about, okay, what do I want to accomplish this year? And one of the personal affirmations that I repeat to myself when I go on a prayer walk or just take a walk around the neighborhood is, I imitate Paul and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. And I'll I'll just go out and pray about it and then repeat it to myself. And it's something that I've kept in mind since I was a college student. I'd love to imitate Paul and plant churches and go go different places and live that kind of exciting life for God. And that certainly led me overseas to Japan and planting different churches in my hometown of Ashland, Oregon, and now Tucson. But this year I thought, okay, how could I imitate him more? How could I do better? How can I grow in that area? And I was sitting down at my desk And I went to the Amazon site and said, maybe I'll read a book on it. And so I typed in How to Imitate Paul. And boom, up popped a book called Imitate Paul, Five Keys from the Apostle for Every Church Planter, Leader, and Believer. And it's written by a man named Gary Mayer. And I I started reading and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so powerful. Some of the concepts he talks about in there they, they rattled me. I was like, oh, my, this is exactly what I'm experiencing and what I'm, I'm working on in my inner life, my spiritual life. So after reading it, I thought, I've got to get this guy on my podcast. I've got to somehow track him down. So I, I looked it up. I, I Facebooked him, and then I, I messaged him. I thought, I, I don't know if he'll ever get back to me or not. And what do you know? He messaged me back. We started emailing. And he agreed to do a podcast. And so this episode, I have Gary Mayer on the podcast talking about his book, Imitate Paul. And I'm looking forward to uh, discussing it with him. Gary, welcome to the program. Rob, thanks. I, I'm excited to um, share with you. You and I, we talked before this, and we grew up in the same area in Oregon. Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? 
Yeah, that was an interesting connection. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Medford, Oregon is where I grew up. Um, I moved uh, there when I was 10 years old. I was born and spent my first 10 years in a small town in Idaho outside of Boise, which I think you were also in. Um, and I, I grew up in a, in a, in a good family. Uh, I would say a God-fearing family, but not, not an overtly Christian family. Um, it's, it's really interesting. The first church I went to when I was four, five, six years old, uh, my grandmother took me in Emmett, Idaho called First Christian Church. And it was a, a First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. And the only thing I can remember is getting little gold stars from memorizing. <laughs> evidently, early seeds were planted at that point. Mm. Um, and then my, um, my dad died when I was eight years old. Mom remarried. We moved to Medford. And um, so I spent all my growing up years there. Um, <clears throat> as I said, it wasn't, it was an idyllic kind of time. You're too young to know, but the late 50s and the 60s were a wonderful time to, to be growing up. It was a leave it to beaver kind of time for mm -hmm. me and growing up in school and playing every conceivable sport. Um, my dad bought a turkey ranch early on, uh, my stepdad, adopted dad. And so I spent every summer and every weekend working. Uh, so I learned how to work early. Um, but from a Christian standpoint, we, we went to a church maybe two or three times in, you know, in, in 12, 15 years. Uh, I remember one, this kind of gets, sets the stage. One Easter, we got in our car and went to a drive-in theater. And put the put the little um, sound system in the in the window, and we we had Easter service at a drive-in theater. That's about as close <laughs> as my family, my parents got to God in those days. Mm. And so I consider myself a first-generation Christian. Wow. Um, I think my grandmother was a Christian, but I, I was a first-generation Christian. And um, so anyway, I learned to golf on your golf course in Ashland, and. Um, have great memories. My family um, is no longer there, other than my brother, because my parents have died. But that's mm -hmm. that. That was home. Yeah, what a what a coincidence. It's it's. I think I've been to that uh, drive-in. I think it's since been torn down. If it's the one on um, Highway 99 that goes goes through the the town, so. Yeah. Um, anyway, so very very interesting. I could ask you so many more questions about the Rogue Valley, but I'm not going to it for the sake of time. How did you how did you decide to become a Christian and, and follow Christ? Um, that's a really boy, you know what that's a great question. I've noticed on your podcast, I think you ask everybody that. It's just it's such a hallmark of who each one of us are, isn't it? And yeah, and so they're all different. And I would say mine is pretty, pretty different. Um, it may it may um, cause a few theological questions. What happened was when I when I grew up in um, in Medford, when I was about fourteen or fifteen, I discovered some lumps in my body, that I, and I had a fear of cancer that just set in as a as a young teenager, and um, I so I lived with a fear that I wasn't going to live long, and it affected it affected a number of decisions in high school and college um, that. I don't have time to go into here, but <clears throat> that was the that was the only problem I really had growing up. I had a problem-free life. I lived, didn't get into any drugs or alcohol or anything like that. So fast forward, I went after I graduated from high school, I went to Oregon State, went to college. And by the time my senior year came around, I felt surrounded by problems. Mm. Um, the Vietnam draft was imminent and I the lottery happened my senior year in December. Um, my fear there was that I would have to have a physical and they would discover these lumps and tell me that I was gonna die. Mm -hmm. I, had a, I had a girlfriend who wanted to get married and of course that isn't feasible if you know that you're not gonna live long. And I, went, I just felt surrounded by problems. Mm -hmm. And um, I went back to Medford uh, one, one weekend I had a meeting with the draft board actually. And I, and I laid in bed, I need to backtrack to say one thing. Um, during that early senior year, I met two guys um, 
who were on the Oregon, one was on the Oregon State diving team and the other on the, on the basketball team. And I was on the golf team. So we had a common link. And they took me to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting where I heard the gospel really clear. But there was something in their life that was different. There was a joy and a peace that was magnetic to me. And because I felt surrounded by problems, I just knew I wanted what they had. So I went to that FCA meeting. I don't remember anything about it, but I heard the gospel. So now I'm back home. I met the draft board and I'm lying on my bed, um, 11 o'clock at night, staring at the ceiling. And somehow God gave me the grace to humble myself. And I said, this was my prayer of salvation. I said, God, if you're there, I need you. Mm. And Rob, all heaven opened up. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit fell on me. And I was washed and washed and washed and washed over and over. Every, all I can say is it's like a dirty rag become bleached white as snow. Mm. And simultaneously, I was filled with all nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. It was a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. And I was transformed in five minutes. Um, and all I said was, God, if you're there, I need you. And so I, had a, I, I was blessed to have a dramatic salvation. And needless to say, the course of my life just, just suddenly took a turn. And I, was, I could tell everything. I woke up the next morning and went golfing. And every attitude, every reaction, I was totally a new creation in Christ. Wow. And um, you can't program that. You, I would never say to anybody, here's the key prayer, you know, right. if you're there. <laughs> I, you. You know, I, I didn't repent. I didn't say Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I didn't say it was the son of I, None of the standard things mm -hmm. we would do. I, but he sees the heart. Mm. And I think that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. God knows our heart. And he, he meets us where we are at a heart level. It sounds like a Damascus Road type of experience and something that you talk about later in the book and when you're kind of the mid-career in your 40s. How old were you at the time when that happened, Gary? Uh, I was 21. You're 21. Okay, and so may I ask how old you are now? Yeah, soon to 74. 74. 75 in a few weeks. <laughs> okay, so you're born in 47. Is that right? 44. Okay, yeah. that's that's a good year. It's when my sister was born, and also when Arnold Schwarzenegger was born. So very good wow. year. <laughs> so, what led you into the ministry? Why did you decide I want to go into the ministry, or maybe you didn't at that point? Yeah. Um, well, I became a Christian, as I just said. I um, I went to work for IBM, big computer company, and I went back to Kentucky and got baptized and started going to church right away. Uh, but I would say I was never really discipled, which was a problem. At one point in time, I fell away from the Lord for a few years, but I always knew, always had one foot in a church because uh, who he had made me to be. Right. Um, but eventually, if you fast forward many years, um, by now I'm married and, and we have four children and we live in Colorado. Um, <clears throat> I was an elder in our church um, in Colorado. Um, I was, as far as I knew, I was doing everything God would want me to do. I was in the business world, but we went, um, my company took me on and took us on an international assignment to London for two years. We served in a local a Baptist church there, led children's work. Um, and then two years later, we moved to Paris. And so we're working in Paris. That's where our headquarters was. And couldn't find a, um, an English speaking church that we felt good about. So I started teaching, just having church at home. And um, so I was living, I thought, the way God would be pleased with me. Right. And one Saturday morning, I was walking out of our apartment and I was gonna go to the local patisserie to buy something for breakfast. And I, and I had another Damascus Road experience. Mm -hmm. Out of the blue, Un, unsolicited. I wasn't praying about it. 
And suddenly I heard the voice of God and it was, it was probably the only time I would consciously say, I felt it was an audible voice. Mm. Um, it was a, it was a stern, but loving voice. And I heard God clearly say, Gary, you are not listening. And because it was, because it wasn't just the words I'm saying, it was God himself. It so shook me to the very core of my being. Um, I was, I was physically and emotionally shaken for two or three months. It so, it so hit me. And um, I didn't know I wasn't listening, um, but he said, Gary, you're not listening. And so I immediately told, told Barb about it. And we obviously said, hello, I'm gonna start listening. And um, we agreed not to, not to do it together because whatever God was saying, I wanted her to be a confirming voice. And it wasn't very long until I knew that, um, that the Lord was saying three things. And so they were a serious life-changing matters. So I sat down with Barbara and she said, um, you go first, which was uh, a wise wife. She didn't, <laughs> she didn't lead with it. She let me, let me hang myself with it more or less. So I said three things. God said, leave IBM after 21 years, return to England, to London, to the UK, and prepare to pastor. And so that's the calling I got. Um, the Gary, you're not listening was dramatic. The go to Bible college and prepare the pastor wasn't dramatic. It was just praying over a series of weeks that I just became certain that that's what the Lord was saying. And Barb, every time I said one, she says, yes, yes, yes. So we had, we had agreement. It was, um, it was a, and this, you know, this is the way it is for most of us. When we make a radical decision for Jesus, it's very costly. Mm -hmm. And this was very costly. I had a very good position making substantial amounts of money. Retirement was four years ahead. Oh my and I just turned my back and left everything. <laughs> and so it was, it was Paul saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ, you know. And um, so that was, I hadn't planned it. I never thought about being a pastor. I think when we were in Paris and we were having church at home, I began to develop a little bit of a teaching gift that I didn't know I had, but um, that was it. Okay. So Gary, when you start talking about like a spiritual experience, a voice from God, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I mean, it doesn't, that certainly does not come from my family of churches or my, my personal experience. I've had some gut instincts, some, some intuitions like, hey, you should, you should go back and plant a church in your hometown of Ashland. I felt, I felt pretty sure God was calling me to that. But how do you, how do you describe that? I mean, that sounds, I mean, when you share about your conversion, when you share about this vision, you, you're starting to tear up. I mean, this is, I can tell it's very emotional. You know, how, is this something for everyone? What's, what are your thoughts on that? Um. I'd say yes and no. When I look in scripture, I see the Lord speaking to people that way. Um, it's very easy on a short podcast like this when I hit the highlights to make it seem like that's life. Right. And that's not life. That's mm. not every day. Right. Um, but I look back over 50 years as a Christian and I can pull out six or eight or a dozen times when I feel that I, the way I describe it, Rob, maybe is like this. Sometimes I sense I do it on a 10 point scale. Sometimes <laughs> I, I kind of think, yeah, maybe the Lord's saying that. And that's about a 1.8, you know, and half the time I'm wrong. And some of the times <laughs> I'm right, etc. But I've had a few nine or tens. Mm. And I just believe that we each have an individual walk with God. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to get later talk about this idea of revelation, but it's about relationship. You know, there's no formula, right? Um, we each have our own walk with God. We each have our own personalities. <clears throat> but I believe, I know that when I read the Bible and I see that, that the Holy Spirit, when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to leave an, a comforter, someone just like me, that he wants to lead us. God speaks and he speaks through the word. He speaks through, um, through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through others. Um, 
but I have, I could give you, we could talk, if you just want to talk testimonies, there are, there are at least six or eight or 10 that I absolutely know that I heard the voice of God, but it usually is just in my heart. Right. It's like, it's like, where did that come from? Right. But when you cultivate the relationship and the voice of God, you don't say, where did it come from? You know where it came from. Mm-hmm. It's just that you've been praying about something and suddenly he just, the, it's just there. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. You know that you know you heard mm. from the Lord. Okay. Sometimes it's a scripture that jumps off the page and it suddenly becomes a rhema word of God and you say, God spoke. And so, you know, they're not all tens. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, that, kind of that, picking the highlights here. Right. Right. Well, it's pretty dramatic. And it's, I mean, what a sacrifice to leave. I guess you forfeited your retirement at that point. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, let's move forward. You, you became a pastor. Why did you decide to write this book, Imitate Paul? Okay. Fast forward decades again. Um, we moved to um, here in Mexico. We, I'm living right now in Baja, California, hour south of San Diego and in, on the Baja Peninsula of Mexico. When I was 65, we felt a change of season. We left the church. We came here. And we have a son and daughter-in-law and three grandchildren here, granddaughters, who run a, a medical mission. And um, when we came, I had, I had a number of prophetic words. I've had Again, I don't know why. Maybe I'm a hard listen. Uh, you know, I don't listen well. But before we left, um, I was at a meeting and someone just gave me, said, Gary, I believe that this is what the Lord is saying. And and there were there were a number of aspects of it. One of it was that you're going to write and I want you to write now. And I got an email from a total stranger I had never met when we were visiting a church in England, he said, I saw you standing there uh, next to our, our daughter and son-in-law. And he said, I've waited for two or three weeks and I can't let it go. Here's what I believe the Lord would say to you. And it included writing Mm -hmm. and writing would open doors for your ministry. And I'd never planned to write. I'm not really a, I was an engineer. I'm not really a (laughs) good. And um, so I had, and actually, um, I had two words. That was on a Saturday morning. I went to speak at a graduation of a homeschooling group. And one of the parents afterwards said, could I pray with you? Sure. Okay. So we prayed. And as we prayed, he began to say, the Lord wants you to write. And it's like he read the email that came from London the day before. And it was, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to write. So that was one side of it. The other side of it was I got involved here with a church planting ministry. And it's a a pretty good sized church for Mexico up in Rosarito. And Pastor Mike has a real gifting and calling to raise up church planters. And he asked me to be to join him and his two associate pastors in leading the the church planting class. And so I was... um, did that for three and a half years. And, and as I, this is, this is interesting because the contents of the book that you read, I feel like the Lord just laid it in my lap. The other teachers that were teaching a church planning class were emphasizing how to plant churches, why to plant churches, where to plant churches. And I just knew in my heart that the key to a successful church planner isn't the way you do it, but who you are. So I began to teach on Paul because he's the epitome of church planters. And the contents of the book came out of what I was teaching, what, what his life was, why he, why he was who he was. And so I, because the Lord said, right, I just took what I was teaching and just began to sit down and write the book. That's very powerful. Not the way you do it but who you are in church planning. I definitely want to come back to that. Can I ask you, what, what church have you been a part of most of your life when you were leading a church in London and you did your ministry, your kind of your ministry career in forties and fifties and early sixties. What, what, what was it? What church would you identify with? Okay. Uh, I avoid labels. Uh, <laughs> so, 
I'm, I'm not avoiding your question. I'm just describing it. I would, the Bible college I went to in London was under the covering of Foursquare Gospel Church, Jack Hafer. Um, the, most of the churches I were involved with were non-denominational spirit-filled churches. And our church in London, because God just parachuted us in, we had no sending organization. We were, we were an independent non-denominational church is the best way to say it. Okay, okay. So in, in the book, you talk about the gap between the leader's actual experience and the quote-unquote extravagant promises laid out in the Bible. Can you explain that? That that I mean that impa- that impacted me right off the bat. That totally drew me in when I read that. I thought, yes, I can absolutely relate to that because when I read the Bible, I go, it's incredible what Paul is going on about in Ephesians one or in Colossians one. He's just he can't stop talking, and I go, okay, I wish that I could scratch the surface of that joy and passion. So, if you could just talk a little bit about that. You and I are in the same boat. That the gap has always—I don't want to say bothered me, challenged me—to say if if it says it in the Word, and if Paul lived it, and Jesus taught it, it's mine, and I had to be seeing it operating in my life. And a few, not long ago, a few, a couple years ago, had a conversation with, going back to our first church when when Barb and I were in Colorado the pastor's wife there, I had a conversation and said, surely where, where is, and then I listed off a half a dozen people in the church. And this is now 40 years later. And she began to describe divorces, um, people no longer serving God, um, walking, away, walking away from their walk with God. And these were, these were worship leaders, mm. leaders in the church, full-fledged, awesome members of the church that I knew 40 years ago. And I said to Shirley, and I'm saying to myself, what was missing in their life that enabled that to even happen? Something was missing. And so the quest I'm on and what I tried to write about is this idea of the gap between what we see in the promises and what most of us experience. And I just think that I think that gap, I try and identify what, some of the reasons for the gap. But let me just give you one scripture that, that I, I pulled out just as an example. It's um, because it ties in with some of the subjects that I talk about in the book. It's, it's um, Romans 5.17. And Paul says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Reign in life. I say, God, how many believers do I know who I would describe as reigning in life? Hmm. And if you study that word, it means what it says. It means kingly power, royal authority. It means living like you are reigning. Right. Now, it doesn't mean without problems, because Paul had more than any of us. But I look at that, and there's two components, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So I began to contemplate that, and this is where I know you want to go on a podcast. Why? We've all been given that. We know it's a free gift of grace, Ephesians 1. We've been given the gift of righteousness. We've, we are partakers of the gospel of grace, which is I call Paul's gospel. So why isn't it operating that way in more of us? And I think it comes down to a number of factors that I go into in the book. One of them is ignorance. That, you know, for years, if I, if I ask somebody what grace is, well, grace is the um, unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Well, to me, that's like describing a kiss as Two lips touching. Where's the electricity? Where's the excitement? I mean, that's not the definition of it. It's the definition of a kiss, but it's not what it is. And the, the gospel of grace is so profound. Right. It has so many aspects. 
So ignorance is one. And the other one is this matter of revelation. And I think there is, there's, it's not often taught. And as I, as I write about it, to me, it has been a, it's been a powerful impact on my life because I have received it in two or three major ways, both slowly and quickly. And it has transformed my life. So I think that's why I love to, talk, to teach on this idea of personal revelation. Okay, so we're going to come to that in a little bit. But this is such a timely topic. I know that it breaks my heart. I've got friends that I, I went to college with that have that are drifting or not doing well spiritually, at least in my mind. Um, COVID, we've lost people in church that are walking away. Young people, just not seemingly not interested any longer, even though they are raised in the church. And it, it's, it's so sad to me because there's so much in the gospel and yet uh, there's such a lackluster response to it. And, and I get it. People's people just don't, they're not, they're not getting the full blast of the gospel. So I think it's super timely. Now in your first chapter, you talk about, you talk about the different marks the distinguished Paul, first thing is calling. What does that mean? What What were you trying to talk about there? Um, well, calling, I think everybody understands that we, of what calling is. We all have a belief, a calling, a purpose, a destiny. Um, you, know, you have articulated yours. Um, God has a plan for each one of us. And what I meant in the book because I was focusing on church planters, but it really is a broader application is that, is the certainty of the calling. Um, because, because planting a church, first of all, is gonna be very challenging, almost for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to know that you know you were called because if you're not certain of your calling, when things become difficult and the devil says half god really said mm-hmm. you're going to start doubting and the statistics of leaders that that drop out of the ministry is extraordinary and so i was emphasizing the point of being certain of your calling and nobody's had a more certain calling than the apostle paul right on you know on the damascus road in acts 9 mm-hmm. he never doubted his calling he couldn't Well, most of us don't have that kind of an experience. So I talk about um, some of the ways to know. And I I really emphasize before you make a life-transforming decision that you are certain of your calling. And again, there's no formula. Everyone's a little different. Each one has their own testimony. Um, But I think for church planting, because it's such a, it impacts, wives and children and families mm-hmm. um, it really is important to be certain of your calling so that was the, that was the thrust of that chapter it was it was a great one and I think not everyone's calling is as strong or as stark as yours was and so when you start having tough times whether it's financially or the church is not doing as good as you want it to do it's tempting to to think well maybe God is calling me out of the ministry and I, I'm sure that that's how people interpret it but I think it's very important you go on to talk about vision now this is a pretty crowded field when you start talking about everyone's writing a book on vision I mean business books I mean they're just literally thousands of books on it's it's overwhelming I I you start talking about vision, I'm like, oh my gosh, which vision are we talking about? What does that mean for the minister? Can you break it down a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I saw one aspect of it, and I only pick one aspect, because some people, that's their life message, and it's not me. I had a very difficult time when I was in, uh, leading our church to have a vision statement for the church. You'd have a hard time finding a church somewhere, anywhere now that doesn't have right on their website, um, our vision, our goal, our purpose, yours does, right. you know, uh, love. Having um, fun, loving God, making disciples. God That's right. <laughs> um, and some of them are real vibrant and are in the DNA of the people, which is the purpose. Others are just put up there and they're forgotten about. 
there's, there's just one aspect of it that I think is important that I learned from the, from the life of Paul. And this is, this is to me dramatic. And so we're just going to talk on one narrow point. And I, I describe what I call inferior vision or infer, an inferior or a secondary vision. That's probably a better word and a primary vision. And I think most of what we have been taught is, is what I would call a secondary vision. I would say that most, most second, the problem with the secondary goal is that it's based upon what you want to do in the next six months or a year or five years. At the church planning class, Pastor Mike has <clears throat> church planners stand up and just off the cuff say, what, what does your church look like five years from now, two years from now? And if that becomes the motivating factor, most of those things, many of those things may not happen or they'll happen in different ways. So if, the, if somebody's, if a church planner's vision is focused on shorter term secondary visions, it sows the seeds of destruction in the life of the leader. Because it sows the seeds of failure, it sows the seeds of uh, discouragement, it sows seeds of um, rejection, all sorts of things. And I'm not saying they're not necessary, but they need to be secondary. And I discovered, the Lord gave to me, Acts 20, 24, to me, is Paul's vision statement. And one of the keys of why he was who he was. And Acts 20, 24, Paul says, but none of these things bother me. And he's speaking about all the trials, all the problems he's ever had. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count myself, my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I've been given to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Hmm. And so his, his vision is to finish his race with joy. And I, when I was pastoring for so many years, you could, you, I had so little joy that you'd put it in a teeny little bottle. And <laughs> I knew that's not the call. I knew mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was so consumed with circumstances mm -hmm. and issues that just come up all the time mm -hmm. that I had lost track or never knew that my real call in life was to finish my race with joy. Wow. And let, I, even wear a, I even wear a wristband now with Acts 2024. 20, it is my vision for life. And none of these things that happen concern me because I only have one goal in life, and it's to finish my race with joy. I, I recently did a class for some church, church leaders in Asia, and my first point was get happy. And I know it sounds simplistic, but the theme scripture for my year is delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Ministers are under attack and the first thing that goes is their joy because there's so many problems in churches. Even in the best of times, there's tons of problems and it's so the larger, the more successful you are, the more problems you, you create because there's more sinners and there's more, you know, and so when I hear you say that, I thought, that is absolutely true. I mean, just the mission, but also the manner in which you complete the mission with joy. And I feel like that has got to be a person's number one job is to maintain their joy in the midst of, of challenges. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, I was, I was most impacted by your chapter on personal revelation. This, is, this was the high point of the, the book for me. Although there was, I liked every chapter, but this was like, wow, okay. Can you talk, you started talking a little bit about it. Can you, what do you mean by that personal revelation? Okay. Um, the word revelation is a very biblical subject. And what it means is it means an uncovering, a pulling back of the curtains in order to be able to see something that was there the whole time but you could, but you never saw it, or you could only see it in an obscure way. 
And so when revelation happens, it's like the curtains pull back and suddenly it's there. Um, the best, and I think most people don't, it's very simple. Paul said that he received the gospel by revelation of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1, that's what he said. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't taught it. He didn't, he didn't figure it out. It was given to him by revelation of Jesus Christ. And so after the Damascus Road experience, went into Arabia for three years, and I believe that began a process of, of the Lord downloading to Paul. And as he was receiving this, I can just see his pharisaical understanding of the Old Testament, putting the pieces together and seeing, seeing Jesus in every chapter and understanding salvation faith way back to Abraham. And so I can imagine the exciting process of him beginning to say, to see by revelation what that was. And that, it doesn't stop there. He then prays in his prayer in Ephesians 1, he prays that we would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That then goes on, and we could talk about the rest of that prayer, but he then prays that we'll have revelation. And so if he needed revelation, and then we need revelation, there's something that's needed to take it from our head to our heart. And one of the one of the verses I really like to use is in 1 John, where it says, um, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us to be called children of God. And one of the commentaries I used to use a lot is was the Weist commentary, who was a real scholar in Greek. And when I read this, I suddenly began to understand why revelation is needed. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, we said means what foreign kind of love. And so I begin to see and explore that if the love that God has given me is a foreign kind of love, it's a love that comes in a way that is not earthly, that we've never experienced. It's outside any experience we could have ever garnered here on planet Earth. So that takes revelation. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out because I was not brought up in that way. I was brought up to perform. Right. You know, when you go to school, life goes better when you get A's and B's. When you go to work, if you get a, a one or a two on a performance plan, it's a lot better than a four. We are trained to perform. So how do I how do I begin to get hold of the love of God that comes by grace alone? It's a foreign kind and it takes revelation. It takes it takes that thing that I could only begin to comprehend up here. It takes a, a, an uncovering, and that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It takes the ministry of the Spirit in my life to suddenly, I got it. And I can describe one for you that, that I think maybe will help. Um, I describe it in the book. Um, it was, I was in Bible college. And we were going through the book of Romans. And our professor was um, teaching on justification. Well, I knew what justification was. I could write a definition. I'm sure I'd had um, sermons, heard sermons. I could preach a sermon. Um, you know, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I, you know, I am never, et cetera. But it never changed my life. And all I can say is one day we walked into the classroom and we had a classroom, kind of like a university classroom, stair step down, big blackboards. Of course, there were no PowerPoint presentations in those days. We still use chalk. Um, and he had written in huge letters on the blackboard, righteous 24 seven. Mm. And when I saw that, I guess it's the phraseology he mm -hmm. used. It suddenly became revelation. All I can tell you, Rob, is that 
I was stunned. I looked at it and what I knew in my head suddenly went into my heart and I personalized it. And I knew, I, I knew that I knew that I knew that when I wake up in the morning, that I am right with him every day, every moment. And, and all I can say is that a, that a deep rest and peace came into my life because I, I, I'm like most of us. I was a striver. I strived that God would be pleased with me. You know, the more I do, the better he'll love me. You know, that kind of mentality. And that was, that was just flushed out of me when I saw righteous 24 seven, because it became personal revelation. Okay. Let's break this down. This is very powerful because like when you say that I hear the phrase, but it doesn't impact me like you were impacted. And that's, that's the gap that is so challenging. I, I can totally imagine that that, that was super impacting for you. And yet the question that I have is like, okay, how can I experience that also? Because it's, it's not on demand. You can't just say, Hey, I want to have that. And, and yet if, when I think about this, I think, okay, this is a big issue because there's so many people that are like me. I mean, I'm in my mid fifties. They've been Christians a long time, but are still coasting on, on experiences they had when they became Christians or maybe they're in their twenties or in their college, college ministry days when things were very vibrant and alive and they really felt close to God. I can think about experiences I've had that were super meaningful, super deep when I felt super close to God and yet those are isolated experiences. It's not all, it's not a constant type thing. And when you talk about that spirit of wisdom and revelation, that's what impacted me. I thought, okay, it is like that. There, it's, I know it's there. I know that God loves me, but I oftentimes can't see it or can't feel it. And so what I pray about is God help me to internalize what is reality? That is the reality, but I don't, I only scratch the surface. And so how can a person experience that more deeply and internalize the love of God? I wish I had a wonderful answer. <laughs> with a number of things. First, I'll identify with you. One of, I read a book, do you know Hudson Taylor, that great missionary? Yes, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. I read that, and it so impacted me up here, but not down here. And I have been wanting that exchange life mm -hmm. for and I'm still wanting it. So I, I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, it, every one of us has a history with God. And we each have different relations, not different. I mean, we all, ought to have, we all have the same relationship, but we all have different um, histories, different experiences. And, and what I think of maybe to best answer your question is there's so much more of God than any of us have. In Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, he talks about the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ, which is beyond knowing. And so we're all going to feel like you just said that I've only scratched the surface and that's because it's so deep. But in one chapter in my book on about the glorious gospel, I talk about in Ephesians three, Paul says the, that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. Now that blows my mind. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness and the way I peel it back in the book, and for me personally, I go to the, that doxology at the end of 2 Corinthians where he says, may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And so I break it apart in three things. Um, the grace of Jesus Christ. I think if we cultivate an understanding and revelation of grace, our lives will be transformed. And that's why I had to write this second book we may briefly talk about. Because the gospel of grace is otherworldly. And when we grasp what that is and how that affects us, 
it begins to break through some of those crusty areas on the surface. Mm -hmm. And the second one is the love of God. And, and to me, this is, a, this is a revelation I've had, but it came slowly, not like righteous 24-7. And that is, what does sonship really mean? And I've been, I pressed in on that and I've really had some breakthroughs on having a revelation of the father heart of God. And for me, the key there was, uh, was seeing that the way I love my children isn't because of what they do, it has nothing to, it's only because of who they are. Mm -hmm. And his love for me is only because of who I am. I am his. And nothing changes that. Every day I'm his. And so I began to understand that. And the third one is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's where there's so much that we all can have. I, in my experience, the one thing I didn't say to you when you said you're trying to categorize my church experience, I'm a wild duck in some ways. <laughs> and I, I think it's an asset. I have dip my toe in a lot of streams of Christianity, not just one. And sometimes I did it trepidatiously. Sometimes I did it thinking, what am I doing? And I tell you, my life has been enriched so much. And one of it is on the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because I think many of our churches, and I don't really know your, you know, your, your, your group of churches extremely well, but in my experience, churches tend to either emphasize the word or emphasize the spirit. And my whole life point in life has been, it's both and. Mm -hmm. It's the word and the spirit. And so if, it, if, it, if a church is so spirit-oriented, I come in with, but the word of God is so, you know. But if, but if a church is solely word-oriented, it is, where's the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. Because... I think a lot of what you're talking about, I believe that the, that revelation is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I, there is a scripture I could give, but I can't think what it is off the top of my head. And so that doxology of Paul talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So I think all of us need to cultivate an intimacy and a fellowship with the Spirit of God. Because it is his ministry. And it, it speaks in, in 1 Corinthians 2, I think, about Paul says, I couldn't speak to you because you're carnal. You're not spiritual. And so I think a lot of Christians operate in a carnal way where we're so earthly minded. And Paul had to, pre, had to teach to the Corinthians because they were so carnal. Couldn't teach to them the deep things of God. And so I think the, this whole subject of the Holy Spirit and going deeper with the Lord and saying, I mean, to some people, the Holy Spirit is like um, A.W. Tozer calling the forgotten one right. in one of his books, that he's in the doctrine of the church, but he's not in the life of the church. Right. And he has to be in the life of a believer, a church leader to not, you know, you can't, you can't get revelation, but if you know it's his ministry, you cultivate that intimacy with him. And when you're reading the word, you are praying about it and, you, and you're, you're just going to get it because that's what he wants to do. So there's three things you mentioned. Grace, really getting into contact with the grace of God, son, understanding sonship, and then developing fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Those three things that can help you to develop... Um, a deeper relationship with God, or at least internalizing God's love. I mean, it's, these are deep waters. I, I'm just out there, you know, out in the middle of the Pacific ocean, just floating, trying to figure these things out, but they're so important. I think about Martin Luther struggling with, with his guilt and his shame as a Catholic monk until he, he stumbled onto the concept of the righteousness of God that came from God, not, not depending on his own personal righteousness. I think about John Wesley failed as a mission missionary to this United States, the colonies, and yet comes back, listens to Martin Luther's commentary on, I believe, Galatians, or I think it was Galatians, and his heart's warmed. 
And all of a sudden he just ignites, takes off because he feels God's love for the first time, even though he'd been a, a what we would call a strong Christian up until that time. But he was worn out and his joy was gone. And I think that's certainly what I sense and what I would desire is I want that sense of I'm on fire from the inside. Now, I've felt it at times, but I want it more and more. You know, it's it's so it's so valuable and so important. And I and I hurt for people who I can just tell the fire is dimming. You know, it's it's and I think that goes back to your original point is this is why so many ministers leave the ministry, why people walk away from God is they lose the feeling that the the love dims and and diminishes. So really, really appreciate that. I, let's let, let me just move on here. You mentioned Gary Keller's book, The One Thing. Now, this really surprised me because I studied business at UC Berkeley, and so I love business books, you know, uh, social organization. I, I just, it's a little side thing that I really enjoy. And all of a sudden, out pops this, this book from a real estate guru who, you know, is the president of Keller Williams Real Estate. <laughs> you bring this up. I found it super helpful, and I read this a long time ago, but I reread his book after you mentioned it in your book. What did you mean about uh, bringing it up, and then you start talking about a secret place? Yeah, I think that ties to our previous conversation. I think pastors and leaders, everybody, but we're kind of focusing on them, are so inundated with keeping the plates spinning and the balls in the air and multitasking. And this book, the, the one thing that you referred to, really attacks that. And the point of the book is that if you want the most effectiveness, go small. Hmm. So almost every, his, his thesis is, Almost all the productivity, all the good things come from doing one or two things extremely well. Mm. Well, as pastors, that's very hard because you wake up in the morning, you got emails, you got people to <laughs> see, you got problems, you say. Right. But, but it ties with the key for Paul's life, Rob. It, Paul says that his inner man is renewed day by day. Um, let me, let's see, what's the passage for that? Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. I mean, just right there, how many pastors are losing heart? Right, right. But Paul says, we don't lose heart. And he goes on to say, even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is renewed day by day. And when I read that, you know, when I was teaching at church planners, I just hit me that this is a one-verse window into the inner life of Paul that we don't see just reading his letters. He had time every day to renew his inner man. And so I began to see the, the reason I liked the book was he told Mary when he was talking to Mary and Martha, Jesus said, Mary's chosen the one thing. Mm. And it's the same as the title in the book. And she was sitting at his feet. So I begin to um, hypothesize maybe there's a, a kingdom divine um, time management system mm-hmm. that, and there's, you know, how many books have been written on time management. But if the one thing is sitting at his feet that we tend to not be able to do very well, or it's just something to tick off on our to-do list, but if it becomes the one thing, the domino that begins to gain momentum and knock with big dominoes over, maybe Paul found the key there, that his inner man must be renewed day by day. And I just think, this is a big challenge to me. I'm not very good at this. But if I, if I every day soaked in his presence, I didn't just do my daily Bible reading and, and, and two minutes of crisis prayer, but I truly sat in his presence. 
and my inner man was renewed day by day. If, if that became a life habit, what might my time management system do? How might my big problems suddenly become little problems? How maybe the thing, this is back to the book, maybe the things I thought I had to do, I don't even have to do anymore yeah. because I'm honoring first things first. So that's, that's the point of that. It was super impacting. And it, it brought up so many other thoughts about Mary and Martha, which was great. Uh, I think about Acts chapter 6 when the apostles are getting overwhelmed by the distribution of food. And they say, we're going to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And they, they, they knew what their one thing was. I, I, I mean, when you, <laughs> what's great about it is you've been a pastor, so you understand the mindset of a pastor. I mean, being a, a minister is like, it's the last job for a generalist. It's, it's, you've got to be good at all, all sorts of little things. And there's, and it just grows. And especially in today's technological climate, you've got to become technically savvy as well and learn new skills and you feel torn in so many different directions. And it's tough to feel like I'm really excelling in the one area that got me into the ministry in the first place. So uh, it really helped me. What I did was I, I thought, okay, what is my one thing? And I thought I need to make sure that I take a Sabbath and I thought, well, what one thing this year would help me spiritually the most? And I thought I need to take 24 hours or at least a full day where I unplug from the computer, from my phone and stop and don't, don't do ministry things. That's certainly helped me. That's one thing on a day to day basis. I've just decided I need to go out and walk 10,000 steps. And what that does for me is it gives me a chance to think, to pray, to, to look at nature. And of course it's good for your body but it's one of those high leverage activities that's, that's helped me at times just to force myself, kind of a forcing mechanism to enjoy my relationship with God. But I thought that, you know, that, that whole point was fantastic. And I certainly would recommend that book too. So Gary, how can a f- person find your book, Imitate Paul, Five Keys from the Apostle for Every Church Planner, Leader, and Believer? Where, where would they go to find it? Uh, just like you did. Um, If you go to Amazon and put in the title, just imitate Paul and my name, Gary Mayer, it should, it'll come up in the top one or two. Now, how can a person reach you? I mean, can a person email you? Like, I know you're in Mexico. It seems like you're living the life down there with, you know, Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville or whatever, but how, how can a person reach you? Yeah, email's the best. I, I had a blog for a number of years and I ended up closing that down. Um, so yeah, my email is Gary, G-A-R-Y at Texmex, T-E-X-M-E-X dot M-E, me. Okay. Gary at Texmex dot M-E. Do you have any other books? Yes. Um, the heart of the book, Imitate Paul, that we actually didn't get into is the middle chapter called the glorious gospel. It's the gospel of grace. And that was Paul's life message. So I wrote a, I wrote a second book um, called Paul's Gospel, The Missing Foundation to Christian Discipleship. And the emphasis there, I think, I mean, it, that, I think the second one is more important than the first one because it expands what the gospel of grace is. And I try and do it not so much in a doctrinal headway, but I'm going after the heart. I'm going after the personal revelation that will transform people's lives. Hmm. And so I've, I've run, done an experiment, a couple experiments on, on doing it in small groups because I believe it is a missing link to, to real discipleship. And so I have measured the, the attitudes. I have five questions that I've created uh, before the book, before the class and to the end of the class. And it has changed dramatically people's lives. Mm. So I think it's a, the emphasis is on the revelation of grace. Wow. And I just started, started a third book on, on identity and I'm about 80% done. Wow. So that'll be awesome. Well, thank you so much for your first book. I look forward to reading your second book. If it's, 
anything like your first one, it's going to be very impacting. Thank you so much. There's so much more I could talk talk to you about. I really appreciate what you're doing because it's such a huge, huge need for ministers, but for anybody in connecting more deeply with God, especially during these these tough times. People, I, speaking for myself, I want to feel connected to God more than ever. I want to feel that love and know that love that you talk about. One thing I've done since reading your book, one practical, one practical you gave is memorizing Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So I've got my three by five cards out. I wrote it all out. I, I meditated on it this morning. And, and I pray, I pray that Paul's prayer for the wisdom of the spirit of wisdom and revelation may be given me so that the eyes of my heart be, may be enlightened. And I just pray God fulfill that prayer in my life. And for listeners out there, I pray the same thing. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened. And um, I hope you'll read this book by Gary Mayer. Great book, Imitate Paul. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. Rob, it's been my pleasure. Thank you.